Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, guys? It's an exciting time of the year for UFC 251. It's going to be one hell of a card, baby, and without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action, and we have the best place for you to go. My bookie, for the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, Try a parlay, for instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week. Parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. My bookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. And if you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000, which means if you deposit two grand right now, you'll get an extra grand in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV, that's capital BLV, to activate the offer. Once again, that promo code is capital BLV to activate your offer from MyBookie. Bet, win, get paid, MyBookie. Today is Wednesday, June 17th, 2020, episode 207 of the podcast, talking to GCU baseball infielder Dane Stankowitz on the show today. But before that, I did say on the last episode that we get in to the King of Staten Island just a little bit, the review of Pete Davidson and Judd Apatow's new movie, again, directed by Judd Apatow, starring Pete Davidson, The King of Staten Island. It's probably one of those 10-block radius life pieces whose kind of like smallness and intimacy, I mean, it ought to be a virtue, but the movie seems to be afraid of itself here in a sense because the story is about a uh, 24-year-old named Scott who is Pete Davidson. Uh, He lives at home until his mother, Margie, starts dating somebody and then kicks him out of the house. And uh, Pete Davidson in this film is long, he's mouthy, Heavily inked, he's got a lot of tats, he's insecure, absolutely hates living in Staten Island. I think at one point he says, uh, even Jersey looks down at Staten Island, which I can attest to, Jersey sucks, Staten Island's worse. But uh, he, he manages a mental illness, he, he dreams of opening a restaurant that doubles as a tattoo parlor, an idea only he finds kind of appetizing and appealing, uh, but I digress. I mean, in the opening sequences of this film... Uh, Pete Davidson appears to be fighting, you know, an anxiety attack and kind of flees the scene of a car accident. But none of the the trouble he causes kind of sticks. His father died uh, 17 years prior. He was a firefighter, and that apparently is trouble enough to him. So he sits around, throws a little fit every once in a while, and gives people ugly tattoos for a living. So this means his trouble kind of sticks to him. And Margie kind of coddles him and works two nursing jobs until... I think it's an Italian place, takes him uh, on as a busboy, and that's where um, uh, Pete Davidson works. He has regular hookups with one of his friends named Kelsey, played by Belle Pauly. Uh, I guess she believes he's better than he believes he is. And a lot of the time is spent kind of denting sofas with his stoned and drug-dealing homies, if you will, Rick Feliz, Moises Arias, Lou Wilson, among the rest of them. And then his sister, Claire, who's played by uh, Jed Apatow's daughter, just drove off to college, and his mother's new boyfriend, Bill Burr, probably the greatest character in this movie, uh, kind of makes Pete Davidson walk his two kids to school. Ray's also a firefighter. Uh, that's what Bill Burr's name is, Ray. Uh, he's a firefighter just like Pete Davidson's dad, so he carries himself with kind of that affable saltiness that kind of irritates uh, Pete Davidson, but it lets Bill Burr keep us on our toes a little bit. Napatow, of course, directed this movie, which is available on On Demand. He wrote it with Pete Davidson as well as uh, Dave Cyrus, and he establishes tension very early on in this movie between uh, Pete Davidson and basically everybody else in the movie. But, but it's too loose to build into 
anything substantial or surprising over its two-plus hours. This movie is two hours and 17 minutes, ladies and gentlemen. I've seen much stronger movies where less happens in more time, but here, the line between depth and bloat never really comes close uh, at all, I, I would say. I mean, Apatow has left everything in. I mean, the scenes don't unfold or reveal any types of personalities. They kind of just pile up. Uh, they're long bits, parties and hangouts and meals. A violent robbery comes out of nowhere and kind of leads to even less. And I guess Judge Strength in this film is kind of the management of the actors throughout uh, the improvised chaos. I mean, the people in Staten Island are brassy, brightly burnt out. I mean, stereotypes may be more than just that. But minutes into the movie, uh, Kelsey has, uh, has brought her friend, Tara, uh, to chill with... Pete Davidson and his homies, his potheads, and somebody's basement. And, uh, I mean, it's natural. I mean, her surprise and kind of attentiveness is kind of fantastic in this movie. She did a great job. And when Claire tells her that uh, Feliz's character has an STD, Tara kind of practically uh, glows. She said, it's curable. Uh, uh, That's the movie's second scene. (laughs) I mean, you hardly see her again. But folks like uh, uh, Lynn Coplitz, who, who plays Margie's sister, Pamela Adlin as Ray's ex, uh, they do great throwaway comedy with pauses, deadpanning, but they have, they have just enough to do, I guess. But it's not in the service of much. I mean, at some point, Pete Davidson comes back home and sees what his mom's done with the place, and Davidson and Coplitz kind of go at it. And when Margie sends him out of the house again, or outside, so that they can talk, she meets him at the front door, uh, then closes it in his face. I laughed at that part, but I guess Margie finally freed herself from the burden of of this adult child, if you will, and Pete Davidson, who still wants to cling on to home. She wants her her nest empty at this point. Her daughter's gone. She wants him gone as well. He's 24 years old. And she's also a little drunk, and I guess... Um, they give Margie's resolve here as much of an earthing soul as she can. But at this length, Staten Island should be kind of a, a, a somewhat of a comedy about Pete Davidson and his mother's grief, kind of stagnation and uh, um, kind of annoyance about Claire's resentment of their bond. I mean, the kind of funny movie that's a raw moment away from tragedy just below its surface was not this. I mean, Apatow was kind of straining for that kind of feeling with, you know, funny people from 2009. But he hasn't gotten his comedy near uh, true true comedy since, I would say, The 40-Year-Old Virgin with uh, Steve Carell. I mean, that was 15 years ago, 15 years and about five movies ago. I mean, this new film is based on Pete Davidson's life before he got to SNL, Saturday Night Live, and it doesn't delve far into what it's like for... Pete Davidson as an average person whose mental illness kind of makes him feel as if he has no control of himself. And all the the sharp writing happens in the early going when Scott and Kelsey talk about uh, antidepressants. Again, Pete Davidson played a character named Scott, uh, for those of you counting at home. And um, I mean, it's a moment so kind of raw that you don't know why most of the rest of the movie isn't as finely etched and acted, uh, despite Pauly's kind of overeager New York uh, braziness, uh, but there are there, there's other similar moments like some late scenes involving Pete Davidson and Bill Burr and kind of the firefighters at, at Ray's firehouse and Scott kind of ruminating on what tattooing means to him. And one of Pete Davidson's reoccurring SNL skits for those of those for you that watch SNL consistently is him playing a character named Chad who's basically a vaping all-purpose empty vessel who's kind of uh, 
only heightens people's lust for him in a sense. And, and the success of that bit kind of relies on seeing partners who take things way over the top while kind of Pete Davidson stands there and kind of embodies and absorbs it. I mean, his lankiness, uh, sleepy eyes, broad mouth are kind of expressive here. He seems like a comic strip character kind of slouching through real life. And in this movie, Staten Island, like a sketch comedy star uh, acclimating to a hundred and what was it, a 90-minute movie? Again, two hours and 17 minutes, so a lot more, about 136, 137-minute movie. So, again, that's Staten, or was it, The King of Staten Island, starring Pete Davidson and Bill Burr, available on all streaming platforms except for the Netflix. I don't know why it's not on the Netflix. I feel like this should be on the Netflix. It'll probably be a Netflix thing in the coming months, but I guess this was supposed to be out in theaters, and since movie theaters aren't open, uh, they have to get their money somewhere else. So that is available on on demand and all streaming platforms. Another thing I wanted to talk about before our interview with Dane Stankowitz here on episode 207, just to switch gears entirely, uh, I wanted to talk about the MLB players and uh, the, the Players Association, as well as MLB, not potentially having a season now after, I think it was five days ago, Rob Manfred said that there was a 100% chance that the season was going to take place. So MLB players obviously angry and kind of suspicious over Rob Manfred's uh, latest comments and his latest power play. And it's quite possibly kind of the, the most depressing day in a very bleak year arriving for not only Major League Baseball, but the world entirely. Uh, and this happened today on, or, or uh, two days ago on Monday. Rob Manfred said that he was no longer 100% sure that there was going to be a season in 2020, lashing out at the players after they cut off uh, financial negotiations over the weekend. Um, And that's what Tony Clark said, that it was time to get back to work and then that he should tell them when and where a season would be taking place, when spring training was going to start, when opening day was, how many games were going to be played in the season. And after months of public back and forth between the league and the union, Major League Baseball has decided to take uh, the position that it won't allow a season unless the MLBPA, the Players Association, agrees to not file a grievance against the owners for not, you know, in good faith, attempting to quote-unquote play as many games as possible, as outlined in a March agreement on March 26th when they agreed uh, between those two sides. And the union is kind of unlikely to waive that right as of right now. And the Major League Baseball Players Association had previously said that it was willing to play as many games as the league wished with fully uh, prorated salaries outlined in that March 26th deal. But Major League Baseball has at least informally introduced the idea of a 50-game season of full salaries. Uh, I think it was a 48-game season, to be specific, with full salaries, so no pay cuts. So it was clear the league could afford at least that for the season. But no, you know, Major League Baseball instead decided to effectively break off talks with a demand it has to know will be, you know, a non-starter, and here we are. The commissioner of baseball now says, you know, he isn't sure there's going to be a season less than a week after saying he was 100% sure there was going to be a season. So as you can imagine, a number of players have thoughts on their situation. I think Jeff Passan of ESPN was the first to break it, saying that Rob Manfred um, told Mike Greenberg that he was not confident that there was going to be a 2020 season. And I quote, unfortunately, I can't tell you that I'm 100% certain that it's going to happen. And I think uh, Trevor Bauer, among a a plenty, a plethora of players, I'll use the word plethora, a plethora of players, 
came out and uh, aired their grievances, a few Barstool guys as well, but Trevor Bauer uh, was the most suspicious one. I mean, in between the profanities and emojis, he's probably the one outspoken player that tried to read between the lines of the last week and see what MLB's uh, real play is here. Uh, and this is what he said, and I quote on Twitter from Trevor Bauer, at Bauer Outage, uh, uh, again, two days ago. So, Rob, explain to us how you could be 100% sure that there's going to be a baseball, uh, but not confident there will be baseball at the exact same time. What changed between those statements? Players told you to set the season, but it's too early to set the season right now, isn't it, Rob? Because then you'd have to uh, explain why you're only going to impose 50 games when we could easily play 70-plus right now. The tactic is to bluff with, quote-unquote, no season again and delay another two to three weeks until you clear the risk of, quote-unquote, not, uh, not negotiating in good faith by trying to play as many games as possible, end quote. The public backlash combined with potential of having to explain yourself in front of an arbitrator isn't too appealing, is it? Let's see. The way I have it figured out is you want to play between 50 and 60 games. Can't make it 50 because that would be too obvious to everyone what you were trying to do. And no one would think that it was quote-unquote representative season, so you, you'd risk not getting your precious playoff money. Nope, can't have that. So got to make it more than that, but not too many. You've gone as high as about 55 games full, uh, poor rated salary, so you'll probably settle somewhere around there, potentially a couple games higher than that to throw people off the scent. Isn't that right, Rob? So in that scenario, let's see. September 27th, end date to protect playoff TV schedules, 60-ish games, going to have to be at least four days off in there. So that's 64 days, plus about 20 for spring training, 84 days. September 27th, that's 84 days, that's July 5th, plus about a week to get players to spring training. So tack on another seven. That takes us to June 28th. As I have figured it out, that's your deadline. But today is June 15th. So how do you delay another 13 days? Guess we all got that answer today. Threaten to cancel the season. Threaten arbitration. Threaten grievances. All the while, hold the fans for ransom. Hold the future of the game for ransom. No one believes your bluff, bud. You're holding a losing hand, and unfortunately, it's a losing hand for everyone involved, not just you. There's some saying out there about not killing the goose that lays the golden eggs. Check it out on the old Google machine. It's worth noting, end quote. That's what Trevor Bauer had to say about Rob Manfred's latest power play, and uh, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's kind of a conspiracy theory, but nonetheless, it kind of makes sense. Trevor Bauer makes a lot of sense here, kid. Uh, but I don't, I just, I, I'm still optimistic that there's going to be baseball played in 2020. We're going to have to wait and see here in the coming days. Again, that was two days ago. This is Wednesday. A lot more could have happened. I'm recording this on a Monday. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll talk about it more on Friday when we have uh, two flashback Friday interviews of the week presented by TickPick, Major League Baseball outfielders Darnell McDonald and Jason Michaels on the show. A two-for-one for you on June 19, 2020. With that being said, let's get to our interview of the day here on episode 207, GCU baseball infielder Dane Stankowitz, right after this quick word from TickPick. I'm so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's probably going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, 
So we ended up just leaving and going to another yeah. summer league. Yeah, it was. It was I, I didn't really want to leave the guys, but I actually made some good friends up there. But it was like, I gotta get at bats. I gotta get some reps in because I didn't play a whole lot my uh, sophomore year. I played yeah. a little bit, but that's you, really you, So we were talking before we went on about you possibly being the oldest collegiate baseball player out there. Yeah. Twenty-two going on twenty-three. You might be the only guy that played in two separate. Summer collegiate baseball leagues in one season. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's the stat I want. So how how has yeah. quarantine been? How because again we were talking before you, Quinn, and the boys golfing basically every day, working out every day. How's it been over the past few months? It's been boring, man. I'm not gonna lie, we play a lot of video games. Honest answer. But, um, yeah, we try to keep busy. We work out. Lucky in Arizona, we had those golf golf courses open. We hit those a lot. Just trying to stay busy. You would come over to my house back in Gilbert a lot. Just hang out, do stuff, yeah. I feel like the GCU golf course was the only thing that they kept open in that area, at least for like the first month. Like, that was the one thing that never closed. Yeah, they never closed that thing. How are you guys shooting? Um, not good. Um, not good. No, we're, we're both pretty bad. Uh, getting better, though. I think I'm my best is like a 91. <laughs> See, that's not that's nothing to complain about me. Like I'm, no, I know. I think it was yeah. two weeks ago. I got out of the house and went golfing because they just opened up some of our uh, crappy golf courses. And my buddies who go are very serious, very competitive. Where I kind of just want to have a good time. And I went in with the expectation of shooting like a 140, and I shot a 93. And they all shot like 75, 78, 76. And they were just like giving me a pat on the back, like it's all right. It happens to the best of us. I'm like, dude. I would have taken that over anything that I had expected going in. Like, I had, like, a 145 in my head going in. And, like, I thought I was just going to hit dribblers off the tee with my driver every single time. Like, that was my worst fear. I hadn't golfed in, like, six months. Yeah, mine goes straight left. I'm, like, aiming, like, 45 degrees right. Yeah, you have to, like, angle yourself to watch for that tail. Especially at the GCU golf course. It heads straight into the, into the street. There's lo- it's like hole eight or nine where there's like that backyard with like two Rockweilers, I remember. Golf yeah, it actually is eight. <laughs> it's yeah. insane. And I saw on uh, on your Instagram too that you went uh, uh, uh waterfall climbing. Yeah. In our falls. Went, um, me and my me and a couple of my buddies uh, went to uh Saint George, Utah. Um, the Canary, there's a little hiking trail called Canary Falls. Um, half of it, you're like in deep water and just climbing up stuff. It's way fun. Wow. So we had a, we had a big little weekend trip up there. It was a lot of fun. I'm happy I did it. I'm not even a big hike at all, but I had a lot of fun up there. And what part of uh, California are you in right now? Dana Point? Uh, yeah, I'm in Anaheim right now. Um, about 40 minutes not too far. I gotta think that Disneyland's opening up pretty soon. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> are you are you a Disney guy? I am a Disney guy. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's kind of like a mix between people. Like, I feel like a lot of girls are Disney people, but like, there's some guys that are huge into Disney, and then there's other guys that are just like, I've never been and I never want to go. 
Have you have you been to both Disney World and Disneyland? I've never been to Disneyland. It's like an entirely different entity, honestly. Yeah, I've heard it's like way like different vibes and everything. It's just it's just bigger. You know, like you have to take a ferry to get to certain parts, like there's Epcot, uh, Animal Kingdom, United, like just there's so many different things as opposed to the one in Anaheim where it's just that and then you walk across yeah. the street. Which I found so much more convenient. <laughs> So we talked about this before we went on, uh, obviously with BCU baseball. You're coming back. At 22 yeah. years old, you graduated two years ago, but you're coming back. <laughs> yeah, I don't, know how, I don't know how I'm allowed to. Yeah, coming back. <laughs> so how does that work? Because um, obviously you were a graduate athlete afterward. How, how, first of all, how does that work? Like after you graduate, you're allowed to come back. Um, yeah, so I believe it's... You get five years, basically, to play four seasons. Um, it doesn't matter if you graduate. That's why I graduated early. Um, so basically, I was just finished my senior year academically or athletically. Um, yeah. But then our season got canceled, so then they gave all the seniors another year of eligibility back. See, that was, like, the one thing that kind of confused me going in because I thought they were going to give it to the, the fall guys, too, and the, the basketball players. Because yeah. I, I, I think that they missed – Maybe one game, like obviously the WAC tournament got canceled, but that was literally like legitimately, like at minimum, they were going to miss one game of action and that they were going to be allowed to come back. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of a bummer we didn't just see any March Madness or, or the Lopes win the WAC tourney. I know, it was their year, man. But yeah, I'm happy, I'm happy. Uh, spring athletes got an opportunity to get another year for sure. And obviously, with you guys, uh, season cut short. There, there was high expectations going in. What do you think was the highlight this year for GCU baseball? Obviously, you had like that eighteen inning game in Stanford. Yeah, um, that was a lot of fun. Um, that was Friday night, I believe. Um, was it Saturday or Friday? I think it was Friday. Uh, but I liked the opening weekend. Kind of uh, Oklahoma State came into our place, and uh, we kind of took care of them. We played. Swell's team all around. It was good seeing. It was good starting off on a high note, definitely. To like prove to ourselves that we can do it, you know what I mean? Right. And next year, obviously, there's going to be some new faces. We talked about Homer Bush Jr., Pearson's brother coming. Uh, what What do you think is going to be the biggest turnaround going into next season, given, again, this is kind of your final hoorah? What, what's like your biggest expectation going in? Uh, I expect the same thing uh, from, from, from last year's team. Just just sticking together and, and, and staying together through ups and downs, man, because season's long, dude, especially all the stinking seasons I've played. I've, I've seen I've seen a lot of success, I've seen a lot of failure, and I've seen how teams handle it, and that usually uh, determines um, their success in the long run. Yeah. What's the, because uh, I'm always intrigued to hear this, because uh, obviously broadcasting kind of on the media side of things, at least as a student worker, what, what's the media like for you guys uh, when you go to other schools, let alone our school? And do you like media attention? Um, I think it's cool, uh, especially because uh, I guess we're, we're in that smaller category of we're not Power 5, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but we're, we're slowly make, making a splash, I think, in the right direction um, by being a good team. Uh, we need to do uh, we need to do it on a more consistent basis for sure though. Um, not just we need we need to prove to the country um, that that we can do it all season long, not just in big moments or stuff like that. Like we should we need to take two out of three from Stanford, uh, two out of three from Oklahoma State like we did, or get one in Arkansas instead of getting swept 
and losing a close yeah. game, you know what I mean? They start winning those close games against those really good teams. And then, of course, the, the biggest disappointment, I think, that comes out of this season for you guys is that you didn't get the chance to play Arizona State. It was, what, going to be the first time in 20 years that GC yeah. was going to play ASU? Yeah, yeah, it was going to be a lot of fun, man. I was really looking forward to it. I know a bunch of the guys on the team, a bunch of good dudes, uh, guys I played with, and again, growing up my whole life in Arizona, uh, especially if they have so many local guys. Um, that was going to be a lot of fun, but I'm happy. I think we're going to do it next year. Uh, so it'll be good. Um, can you confirm that, or is that kind of just stuff in the air? I, I'm, I cannot, I cannot <laughs> confirm that. Like, if you know, uh, no, it should be, though. We, we, we talked to my dad. We, we, should be, we should be having them on our schedule again as well. Oh, sweet. I can't wait. That was like the one game that I was looking forward to broadcasting, yeah. and it just got yeah. axed. That was going to be a lot of fun, man. And it was going to be one-on-one. One. You guys were going to go to Tempe. They were going to come to Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah, it was going to be cool. They were going to come to our place. That would be a lot of fun playing in Brazzle under the light, man. Oh, my God. I mean, what do you think of the whole evolution of Brazzle Field over the past few years? Because they make all, all of these panoramas and all these different, like, evolution videos of how much it's it's changed in form. I'm like, holy crap, man. Yeah, man, it's awesome, dude. I, I've actually... My dad got the job when I was in uh, seventh or eighth grade, I believe. So I've been I've been going to it forever, man. Seeing seeing the gold bleachers uh, get taken away, the stadium being built, it's been really good for to for me to see how how everything's changed. Oh my god! And then of course we were talking about before too that you wanted to get into coaching. So after. Uh, your final season, this upcoming season in 2021, in the spring, you're gonna uh, potentially stay as a coach. Um, I'm not sure. I'll have to have to see where where coaching opportunities um, are open. But I got a usually uh, college baseball, you get a volunteer assistant job. Um, that's what Paul Panichone does for us right now. Right. Um, he does, he does a really good job. Um, so if if not here, um, somewhere somewhere else, no worries. Um, it'll be good. Always having, always having GC in the back of the mind, though, for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, would you take any job when it came to that? Like, if you if you were interested, if, like, a Northeastern school came up to you and get, gave you an offer, like, would, would you leave? Uh, I don't know, man. I don't, if it's, like, under 70 degrees, I'm freezing. So, I don't know if I can handle that. Well, you're a true but, West Coast kid, then. <laughs> yeah. No, but I've actually talked to Mark Bumper a little bit. He got a, he got a coaching job right away at Metro State in Colorado. Uh, which is pretty oh, wow. good. Yeah, pretty good. I think they're Division Two or NAIA. Um, they're they're a good baseball school. Um, he actually is, is an assistant right now. He got he went right in as an assistant. Um, so it, I'm not I'm not opposed to anything, but just anywhere where I can help out, honestly. Oh, absolutely. And then what's your guys is uh, kind of in the topic of coaching when you guys are in the midst of starting the season? I'm sure you have early morning workouts. What's the whole workout regimen and training regimen like when you're about to start the season, like, say, early January, even before in the fall? I have no idea yeah. what your schedule's like, so. Uh, during the fall, our schedule, during the fall, our schedule's a uh, little, little more lenient, I guess. We're more susceptible to the changes, but usually we have morning workouts at, like, 6 a.m., um, and we go to class. Then we have asking practices for about three, three hours, something like that. Wow. So, and obviously pitchers and position players, I'm sure, have different 
um, yeah. schedules, but what's your uh, kind of overall goal when it comes to weight training and, and conditioning when it comes to uh, training for the start of the season? Because obviously you have um, guys who are just trying to stay in shape, conditioned, so like guys such as yourself, like not the biggest guy on the team, like 180, 175, I don't know how much you weigh, but then there's like the yeah. Pavlikas who are just like shredding till the cows come home. And like, what, like what, do you all have different training programs? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Mike and Reeks, our trainer, does a really good job at um, setting goals individually for us, um, having a clear clear vision of what, what our goals are and what we need to do to reach them. Uh, and he, he really uh, caters our workouts uh, for baseball, which is cool. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're not just throwing around a bunch of weight. Uh, everything, well, we do, but everything uh, we do in the weight room is designed to help on the field. So that's yeah. kind of cool. That's interesting. And then, of course, this is probably a basic question, probably one that you've heard before, but what was kind of your expectation level growing up? Obviously, your dad playing in the big leagues for as long as he did, your brothers in the minor leagues. Was there ever a big expectation level for you personally, or was it always kind of like, I'm going to do whatever the hell makes me happy in the end? Um, yeah, there was a little bit, I guess. I mean, I always put that pressure on myself, right. I think. Uh, we all pressure ourselves to be, be like our dad, if that's our role model, or like our brother, uh, whatever whatever one of each. I mean, uh, yeah, I, there, there was always that little, that little pressure I put on myself, but nothing crazy. I, I, I really do enjoy the asking on our team. Um, I, I can't get enough baseball. It's really, it's really probably my biggest love. Wow. Did you guys ever have uh, uh, kind of gnarly uh, times on the golf course? You, your brother, your dad? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my, my brother's actually a pretty good player. Um, my dad's not too bad. I'm, I'm definitely the worst out of them three, but, <laughs> but I, I like to talk a lot and get in there as I can. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I, again, like what, what? What did you shoot, a 95, you said, the last time you went out? Again, like that's nothing to be ashamed of. In my eyes. Yeah. And I always feel like baseball uh, players are kind of the best golfers. <laughs> Sometimes. You'd be surprised. Uh, I've been golfing with a couple of my teammates who are like, wow, I can't believe you play baseball. But, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, though. What was um, a moment for you growing up uh, as a baseball player, even maybe at a game, where you were kind of like, wow, this this is surreal like what, what was that one moment where you're like this is what i want to do and like i love baseball i would say it's not even not even a moment on the field just just the type of camaraderie and like the the relationship you build you realize getting on a team um, in anything whether it's sports or or business or whatever whatever it is being on a team is special and uh if you can get a group of guys to work together for a common goal is pretty cool about the things you can accomplish, so yeah. it's just more of that relationship. And what? So, what's your? Because um, this has always intrigued me too. Because we're stuck with the panda and the Eda jungles of the world and the habits of the world. Do you guys have separate uh, uh, diet plans and meal plans as opposed to the average student? No, no, we probably eat much worse, honestly. Um, I actually live off campus here with uh, Chani. Ortiz, uh, Cuba Best, and Jack Schneider, and I was lucky. Uh, Cuba, Cuba can cook the best of them. Oh uh, wow, really? He, yeah, he cooked. He cooked a lot. And, uh, his special dish was a uh, Cajun chicken Alfredo, which was amazing.
freezing. I'm keeping it healthy. Yeah, yeah. Just carve all up, baby. <laughs> so that's good. So when you guys are home, like, are you eating what campus provides, or is there some sort of different meal plan? Because that was, like, always my biggest thing. Like, for athletes, you have to stay in tip-top shape, but at the same time, we don't really offer anything truly that healthy. Yeah, I mean, like, when you go to Chick-fil-A, sometimes get grilled instead of dried, or... Peanut jungle is usually pretty healthy. I mean, for the most part, it's better than a bunch of greasy fries and stuff. But we're burning so many calories that, honestly, we need, like, for guys like me, especially, who don't gain a whole lot of weight. Um, I was just trying to eat as much as I could, honestly. Yeah. Whatever it was, trying to just trying to keep my weight up. Are you uh, that, and I get, I can attest to that, too. I struggle with that just because, you know, like, I don't like being that skinny, but... Do you have, like, a really fast metabolism that you're fighting? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's been harder for me to gain weight, um, especially keep it on. But protein shake, um, that kind of stuff, working out, make sure I'm getting enough calories, um, that'll help for sure. Oh, absolutely. This will probably be the last question. Again, this started as a Zoom call. I think Zoom freaking hates us, man, because we <laughs> couldn't get the audio at the beginning, and then it just zoomed out. No pun intended. Yeah. I don't know what the hell happened. Yeah. In order to play for the slow blues, what are some of your favorite slow blues memories? And do you have any uh, stories that you can share? Too, too many, too many memories. Um, uh, probably the coolest thing was experiencing after a win for the first time, seeing all the fans, uh, seeing that go blues go. Yeah. That was a lot of fun, man. I was like, wow. Just seeing how many people come to the game and how, how much they support the blues is awesome, dude. I played in quite a, quite a bit of leagues. Close, close up there with the best for sure. Uh, that hot sauce after a strikeout, that's always funny. <laughs> they had a lot of great promotions. They, I mean, they did, man. They, they kept up with us. It was good. I mean, I remember being up in the booth, and every time someone hit a home run, you had, like, those pyro, like, those smoke things go off at the top. <laughs> I remember all the broadcaster had to do was hit, like, this big red button up in the booth, and they went off. I'm like, holy shit, this is awesome. Yeah, man, it was wild. So in the seasons that you were there, how well did you guys do, obviously? So I've done a few interviews so far, and everybody just says, okay, Santa Barbara just kicks everybody's butt. So, yeah. what, <laughs> so like, personally, like, how well did you guys do in the seasons that you were there? Uh, that summer, the first summer I got there, uh, I don't think we were doing too good. Then we ended up on crazy hair. It was kind of cool. We won, like, 22 of our 27 games. It was insane. Wow. And we ended up, like, being second or, second or third. In our, in our side, and we almost ended up going to the champ for that playoff. Um, we ended up not, but then our second year, um, Santa Barbara was really good. We did all right. I don't know. If we, I don't think we did too well standing, though. Yeah, well, compared to the SoCal catch, I think you guys did all right. <laughs> yeah. I think we were like ten and one the first eleven games, and then we literally lost. We, I think we lost thirteen straight, and then we kind of just went back and forth for the rest of the season. Things went yeah. south in a hurry for us. <laughs> Did you guys go on any, like, big trips that year? Like, I know, like, uh, we went to, obviously, we were in Southern California in the L.A. area. Went to Slow, then we went to Northern California. But was it all based, was it all California-based? Uh, yeah, actually, I believe we went to uh, Humboldt, California, of course, Northern California. Uh, kind of up by Oregon, I believe. On its way, yeah, we went oh, wow. like 14, 13 hour drive last summer, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That was a lot of fun, though, yeah. Well, I, I guess yeah. for you guys on the bus, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's stuck. They have, uh, they have like a whole like marching band. 
like a band section that's been they've like played during the whole game, which is kind of Wow. So here's my last question for you. Again, I'm in Jersey, so it's like almost 1.30 a.m. I'm going to go to sleep pretty soon. But uh, what is your biggest expectation moving forward as you gear up for your final season? Because I know you guys are starting training pretty soon. Stay, stay level-headed. Me, it's, it's been helping the other guys out. Um, it's easier for me that I've seen up down the college baseball. Yeah. More, more downs than up, but... But just being able to help those younger guys um, kind of understand the game a little bit more, just help them out in their development any way I can. That's that's what my job is. And that's what I intend to do. And you're again, you're going to be the veteran this year, man. Yeah, going to be the grandpa. <laughs> again, 22 years old, nothing to be ashamed of. Not not the grandpa, but you're the veteran. You're definitely going to be one of the more older collegiate athletes out there. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.